Blog Talk Radio. Franchise interviews from Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Welcome to Franchise Interviews. It's an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship. Listen to interviews with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys. And now, welcome your host, Marty McDermott, and Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over 15 years now, we've been asking the entrepreneurs one-on-one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, and I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and we have a great show today. One popular question we hear is, do I need a business plan if I'm buying a franchise? And the quick answer is yes. Cherie Warwick is an expert when it comes to planning. Cherie is a business plan writer at the Profit Center. So you'll find out everything you need to know about writing a business plan by listening to today's podcast. And that's coming right up on Franchise Interviews. So stick around because we have a great show. Are you one of those special people who are willing to go after your dreams and goals? Are you ready to fulfill that dream of owning your own business with the security of a proven brand? The opportunity to take control of your future and own a Rita's Italian Ice franchise is within your reach. Rita's is seeking success-oriented individuals who are ready to make a change in their life, and Rita's offers unparalleled training and support to assure your success. And did you know the frozen treat industry is a recession-proof industry? Now here's the really good part. Rita's Italian Ice is a unique and amazing taste treat. It's smoother than a snow cone, and it combines ice with real fresh fruit. The real fruit adds dramatically to the taste, and it comes in over 40 flavors. The ice and fruit are mixed on site and made fresh daily, and it is delicious. You'll want to know more about this exciting and successful franchise opportunity. Go to www.ownaritas.com and get all your questions answered. That's www.ownaritas.com to take control of your dreams and future today. You don't want to wait any longer to be a part of this adventure. www.ownaritas.com Hi, this is Connie McDermott, Administrative Assistant for Franchise Interviews, LLC, and you're listening to Franchise Interviews. We have a great show today. We're meeting with Sherry Warwick, author of Creating Business Plans That Actually Get Financed. Hey, Sheree, how are you doing today? I'm well, Marty. How are you? I'm doing well, Sheree. It's great to finally have you on the show. I'm so glad that you wrote this book. I thought we can uh, dive right into it, um, Sheree. And, you know, maybe you can tell us how you became an expert in the area of writing business plans to raise capital. Sure. Well, uh the story is that I joined the family business mm-hmm. in about 2007, and we did bookkeeping services, my mother and I, mm-hmm. and we decided, or she decided, um, 
that she wanted to grow and expand the business, and she thought that she would want to get a business loan. Well, the first thing we had to do was write a business plan, and since I had the business degree, she said, you've got that assignment, and I had never (laughs) written one before. Um, Well, you know, I'd written one, but not really for raising capital. So I started looking around for information in terms of how do you write a business plan that actually receives a yes? Yes. And the information was very limited in terms of how to do that. So I pulled together what I could. I uh, showed it to a mentor of mine that was a 40-year veteran in terms of running businesses and raising capital. He said, make these few tweaks, and I did that, and the bank said it was one of the best business plans that they had ever read. Wow. Um, After that point, I started uh, raising capital, raising money for my Chamber of Commerce, and I used the same information in order to do that. I started helping other companies, um, and I also started speaking with other consultants that raised capital as well and learning a lot more uh, strategies Uh and tactics for understanding what angel investors and banks and venture capitalists are looking for in business plans. That's fantastic, Sri. You're right. You know, I mean, there's so much out there as far as, like, you know, how to write a business plan. If you were to go to, like, Barnes & Noble, you know, you see a dozen books. But, you know, most of them, you know, I suspect there's a lot of people out there that use those books, and then they go to a bank or an angel investor, and then they get a no. So I was so happy that you wrote this book on how to get a yes. I don't think there's a lot out there. I haven't seen a lot. Anyway, so I, I think it's fantastic. Many of our listeners, um, you know, they've heard that banks aren't lending. Is that true, Cherie? That is not true. However, it is much harder to get a loan today uh-huh. than it was five years ago. Right, so right. we'll definitely be honest about that. There's also, um, within small businesses, there are three things that you need in order to get a bank to say yes. And Uh the truth is, if you don't have all three of these things, you're not going to receive a yes. It doesn't matter how great your business plan is or if you're the next Google. It's not going to matter. So um, if you don't mind, Marty, I'll tell the audience those three things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The first one is good credit, good personal credit. The second is you need to have enough collateral, and that changes from bank to bank in terms of what they consider enough collateral to be. Um, And then the third thing you need is cash flow. And notice I didn't just say cash, I said cash flow. You have to show that your business is going to bring in enough revenues every month in order to not only pay payroll and rent, but to also pay for your own personal bills and to pay the bank back. Because if the bank considers that at the end of the month you have a choice between paying the bank back or buying diapers for the baby, mm-hmm. which one are you going to choose? Sure. You're going to choose your family every time. Of course. So um, those are the things that they're really looking for in order to feel comfortable. That's great. So credit, collateral, and cash flow. Would you mm-hmm. recommend, Sheree, that um, <clears throat> I guess um, – Entrepreneurs get a copy of their credit report first, um, it sounds like, so they know, you know, what their credit score is before, you know, they go through all the motions of writing a business plan to find out that their credit is bad. I would suggest that, plus I would suggest they take that credit 
score or that mm-hmm. credit information to their local commercial banker. Okay. Don't just go to the branch manager, but go right. to the person that actually sees what's getting funded and what's not getting funded. And show them your credit score and show them um, your assets and say, if I had this type of business, right. do you think your bank would, you know, at least take a good mm-hmm. hard look at it? Sure. Now, every bank has a portfolio of things that they invest in. So some of them like to be real estate heavy. Some of them like to right. be government contract heavy. So while I mentioned those three things, there are a lot of other factors that, that contribute as well. But sitting down with, like I said, that great commercial banker, Right. And, and laying it all out and being truthful and honest is one of the best ways that uh, you can kind of figure out, okay, am I bankable right. or am I going to have to go maybe the angel route or the crowdfunding right. route and raise money that way? That's interesting, and I want to talk about that as well. Our yeah. And, Marty, I'm sorry, oh, if you don't mind, no. if you don't mind, I just want to throw in one statistic, and sure. that is that there were over 5 million small business loans. That means loans under a million dollars in 2011, and they wow. uh, rose in 2012. The government doesn't have the statistics yet because we're just in March right, of 2013, right. but I wanted to let you know 5 million small businesses did receive capital. So uh, from from banks. Well, that's good to know, right? I, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of our listeners too. I mean, they're. I guess we can classify them as small businesses. You know, a lot of our listeners are looking to buy like a Subway or a Dunkin' Donuts or a, it could be a cleaning franchise, whatever that may be. You know, so it's nice to know that it, it sounds like money is actually being invested in small startup businesses um, yes. on an annual basis, Cherie. So yes. I, I think that's fantastic. Why is it important for us as entrepreneurs to understand how to raise capital, Cherie? Well, it's an evergreen skill, and what that means is it's just like knowing how to lead people or knowing how to balance your checkbook. Mm -hmm. It's something that if you don't have it, you're going to end up in a world of hurt. Um, Most businesses fail because of cash flow issues. Even if they have a huge order out in the universe somewhere, um, they may not get paid fast enough in order to to pay their payables. So knowing how to raise money is important for not only that purpose, but let's say that you're doing very well right now, but you want to go into another market. Let's say a franchisee wants to open up a second store, a third Mm -hmm. store, or a third location, um, but they can't necessarily use the cash flow from just the first store. Well, what are they going to do? Um, and, and maybe they used all their personal credit and personal capital in order to get that first store up and running. Well, knowing how to raise money is how we're able to grow exponentially as small business owners. That's fantastic, and it's important because a lot of our listeners, too, Cherie, they do want to expand at some point. You know, many of them out there, they don't just want to own that one unit, that one subway or that one piece of franchise. They do want to grow over time, you know, so I, I think that's great advice. I'm curious what, you know, some of the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make when writing their business plans and presenting them to um, investors, Cherie. 
Well, one of the first things I would say is put yourself in the shoes of that investor, uh-huh. okay? They've worked very hard in order to um, assemble, you know, their money. Uh, and the average angel investor puts about $300,000 uh-huh. into a company. But you'll be surprised to know this. The average angel investor makes $90,000 a year. So if I'm speaking to my next-door neighbor or a church friend about investing, you know, $100,000, $200,000, $300,000, mm-hmm. they've worked very hard for their money. Sure. Um, and one of the things that we have to do as entrepreneurs is know what their greatest fears are in terms right. of giving you their capital right. and actually answer their questions. Okay. Like you want to be proactive, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, is to identify what those fears are and just, you know, come right out with it. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So some of the, the common reasons why angels reject deals, and, and this is a part of um, a study that was done by EquityNet.com, mm-hmm. um, some of the common reasons are they don't feel that your franchise can grow sufficiently enough to be able to pay them back. Mm. or there's lack of information about you as the entrepreneur or is about the franchise itself. Or the really, really big one is that they don't trust the team and the management team in particular in order to um, bring customers in, service those customers sufficiently, create happy customers, and get them coming back more and more and more because – Savvy angel investors, and I'm talking about people that put deal, put money into deals about three to ten times a year, right. um, are what we what we will call more savvy angel investors. They know that the team is more important than the business idea itself. They also know that if you have no customers, you have no business, right. and there are no exceptions to that. So they want to know how are you going to get the customers in, and they want to know that you have a strong enough management team to actually be able to um, to make that happen. That's interesting, Sri. I didn't realize that with angel investors, you know, the $90,000 per year. I think so many of us have this perception out there that, you know, they're bringing in millions of dollars every year, don't we? Yeah, we do. But, you know, in my research in, in regards to this book, because I, I am a, a business girl and a, mm-hmm. a stat person, I was shocked myself to find this out, and what we're learning from this is that the angel investor is really the person next door um, that that will look at several uh, deals a year, and they really consider their money as a portfolio, just Mm. like, you know, a money uh, mutual mutual fund manager looks at a portfolio, an angel investor would consider your business as part of their portfolio as well. Um, So sometimes they may say no because it's just not a great fit for their portfolio. Sure, absolutely. Is there a a good way to identify angel investors, Sheree? I mean, how do people find them? I mean, do they just go on the Internet and do a Google search? or What's the best way to identify them? Well, one thing that you can do is, yes, go on to Google Mm -hmm. and put in your state and put right. in angel investment networks. Okay. Okay. Now, these are a group of angel investors that get together sometimes once a month, sometimes once a quarter, and they right. will hear pitches mm-hmm. from uh, 
business owners in their communities. And I'll tell you this as well. The average angel investor does not like to invest in a business that's more than four hours of driving time. So with with me, I live in the northern Virginia area. Four right. hours of driving time gives me access to New Jersey, okay. Maryland, you know, uh, West Virginia, states like that. For other people, four hours, of course, may be a little bit more prohibitive, but right. it really lets you know the radius that you have. So looking at angel investment networks, also writing your business plan, writing a strong business plan and a strong executive summary, and just reaching out to family and friends because you never know who knows who. Um, Again, I mentioned, you know, churches um, are a great place. Again, just saying, this is my business, this is what I'm looking to do. You never know who's going to stand up and say, well, I can introduce you to XYZ person. They may be interested in what you have to say. That's fantastic. We... um I also work with a group, Sharita, called the Collegiate Entrepreneurs, and we're having a elevator pitch contest in September, you know. And uh, do you have any advice, you know, for, for that particular group as far as, like, making their elevator pitch? I think they have, like, two minutes to make their pitch. And, and you know, I, we kind of use that scenario as, you know, you're in front of a bunch of angel investors and you have, like, mm-hmm. two minutes or 60 seconds to, you know, to, to make your plea for them to invest in your business. What would you say to them? Well, I would say to include a few things into their elevator pitch. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one is tell clearly and precisely in a sentence or two what market problem you're solving or Uh, what the idea is. Okay. The second thing is to let people know, do you have current customers? If Uh, you do, how many do you have? Um, What's the average ticket price? Um, that the person is spending. Um, The third thing is, you know, mentioning a little bit about your competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The fourth thing is mentioning information about your financials, especially if you currently have a business up and running. Or if you don't have a business up and running, saying what you believe the first year, second year financials would be. Um, And then the the last thing that I would suggest is practice, practice, practice. Right. I always say if you are asking for two million dollars, and two million is of course a rhetorical number, whatever sure. amount you're asking for, why are you winging it? Right. <laughs> why haven't you? Why don't you really sit down and write exactly what you're going to say and think about it for? several days exactly what you're going to say because at the end of the day angel investors and banks invest in entrepreneurs and they invest in teams they invest in great leadership and the more that you're able to show them that you're prepared the better off you are wow i think that's that's Excellent advice. Um, there's there's six parts, <clears throat> according to your book, there's six parts mm-hmm. to an investable business plan. Maybe we can yes. talk a little bit about that too, Cherie. Sure, absolutely. So <clears throat> part number one is you have to tell them the problem you're solving in the marketplace. Okay, um, That includes, you know, what your business idea is, how big the marketplace is. Mm-hmm. And a great example that I can give you, and this separates an amateur from a real entrepreneur, okay. is let's say that you are selling water. Right. Well, you know, the number one thing that you may think to say is, well, everyone needs to drink water. Sure. You know, but 
How, however, a smart angel will know that, number one, not everyone does drink water, which sure. is why you have Mayor Bloomberg fighting, you know, the whole sugary <laughs> drinks uh, right. issue in New York. Right. Um, so you have to discount those people. You have to discount people that like vitamin water because they like flavored water. Right. right. Okay. Then you're discounting people that only want Fiji water or a specific brand of water. True. So you're really dwindling it down to how many people could we truly say is in our marketplace, and that's what separates you from an amateur to just a really strong entrepreneur. That's important, direct and indirect competitors. And it will show also, you're right, Cherie, that, that you're knowledgeable um, of the market. Um, so I, I think that's, that's great advice. Absolutely. And it just shows that you don't think that everyone is is your um, customer. Is your customer. customer. Exactly. Sure, absolutely. Exactly. That's so important. That's so great. Part two is you want to show your customer acquisition and retention plan. Mm. Okay? You want to show how you're going to attract how are you going to convert prospects, how are you going to service your customers, because servicing customers is a huge part of marketing. That's how you get your referrals. That's how you get your raving fans is in the servicing. Then you want to show how you're going to upsell your customers, and you're going to show how you're going to retain customers because retention and getting them come back again and again and again, whether it's for pizza or Subway, you know, not only coming back to the Subway franchise as a whole, but coming back to your store. Right. What are you going to do in order to make that happen? So that's part two is showing a very strong customer acquisition and retention plan. Then – Part three is showing your team and um, not only showing senior team management, but a lot of times the receptionist or the person that you encounter at the front counter mm-hmm. will turn a customer off more so than, you know, you have the, a CEO trying to bring people in the door or through the door. If you've ever gone to a restaurant and the hostess just totally turn you off and you just sure. turn around and leave. So it's very important to show how you're going to take care of uh, hiring not only your senior managers, but also the people that are on, that are touching your customers and servicing your customers day to day. I think that's great, Cherie, uh, you know, because we don't do that in business plans at all often do we? I mean, a lot of times it seems like the focus is always on senior management and who owns mm-hmm. the company, not getting into the specifics. And, you know, I, I teach for Kaplan University, and I always say, you know, the receptionist or, you know, the person who's greeting you is really the most important person in the company, you know. So I, I think that's great advice. I, I've never heard of that before, but it's, it's great. It is great. And I'll, I'll give people a little trick to put in their business plans um, that I heard from a State Farm agent. She actually goes to restaurants into the mall and finds the greatest customer service young people that she can find. That's and she brings them into the business um, that way. That's so clever, um, isn't it? <laughs> it is very, very clever. A lot of times, you know, I know young people get a bad rep here. So for all the young people, we love you uh, as, yeah. uh, as older professionals. <laughs> Absolutely. But um, a lot of times um, 
it's you want to for those entry level positions you want to hire for attitude and then train versus saying i'm looking for someone that already has 3 years of office experience no Absolutely. if you have somebody who's a great customer service relational person anyway you can train them on how to file and how to use you know the the uh software within your business and and you know things like that so great um, so that was the team. The fourth thing is you want to really talk about your competitive advantage and acknowledge your competitors. What are they good at? What are you good at? And how you're going to basically target your niche and show your niche that you uh, have the right solution for them. Um, part five is, of course, the financial projections. You want to, to show them the money because uh, outside of the executive summary, the second thing that most angels and banks uh, look at is actually your projected financials. Um, mm -hmm. And then the final thing is specifically if you're getting angel investment capital or venture capital, you want to tell them how you're going to pay them back. Because with most angels, um, well, let me take a step back here. Um, if you have a business where you're not going to have cash flow to pay a bank back um, every month, right. you <clears throat> may decide to get angel investment capital. Okay. So what you would do is you would say, um, by the time we reach you know, X amount of revenues, then we will start paying you back every month. Or within three years, we're going to have what's called a liquidity event in order to pay you back. And you want to show the angel investor that you have a minimum of three ways of getting their money back because they're taking a risk on you. Mm, you're reducing that fear, as you were talking about earlier, that they may have. How Absolutely. am I going to get my money back? And I think Absolutely. That's Absolutely, and you're putting yourself in the position of that angel investor who wants their capital back so that they are able to invest in other businesses. Wow, that's fantastic. So is it true that investors and banks will say no even if they think your product is a, a great idea, Sheree, and, and why would they do that? Okay, a thousand percent. They actually do turn down great ideas. Okay. Um, the number one reason is because of an inadequate team, okay. which is why I work with my clients, um, and I really talk in the book about you have to make sure that you have a fantastic team um, in, in place in order to receive financing. That's interesting. The second reason, and it's it's right up there, but maybe a little bit less, is having a strong customer acquisition plan. Mm -hmm. How are you going to get customers through the door? Right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I um I went to Fairleigh Dickinson for a post MBA degree in entrepreneurial studies, Cherie, and there was always like angel investors coming in, and it always seemed like they were interested in um, that the, the tech companies. Is it possible for non tech companies to get money from angel investors? Absolutely. It is, okay. Absolutely. Think about the local bakery that gets a couple of people in the community to invest in actually expansion um, of that local bakery. There right. are a lot of, of, first of all, 
um, there are a lot of angel investors that do prefer tech companies, but usually they have a tech background. Mm-hmm, However, yeah. there are a lot of people that don't know technology, but again, if you're the local pizza franchise or the local um, subway or the local cleaning company, they would better understand that business than they would creating the next Pinterest. So this, again, goes back to portfolios that angel investors are looking at. And a lot of times an angel investor wants to be able to not only contribute capital, but to contribute, um, you know, assistance in terms of getting new contracts or, you know, maybe they're very strong in finance or other aspects of business where they can help you. That's interesting. So where can business owners find sources of money, Sheree? Um, a couple of great places to go are, like I said, you know, it's, it's the millionaire next door. Mm-hmm. The person that you wouldn't necessarily know is the millionaire is True. the best place to go. Um, there's also the ability, if you have a strong enough social network, to consider crowdfunding. Interesting. Okay. And let's take a step back. What is crowdfunding? Um, crowdfunding is, let's say that you want to raise $100,000 in right. order to um, get your business up and running. Well, let's say that uh, the average crowdfunder, and I actually got this information from someone that runs a crowdfunding platform, says, he, says that the average person invests $50 each. Okay, so if you had 2,000 people invest $50 each, then all of a sudden you have your $100,000. Wow, that's interesting. I've seen a couple of franchises actually getting into that now, Shuri. I was Mm -hmm. unfamiliar with it, you know, and um, I I think that's interesting. I think a lot of people don't know about crowdfunding, do they? Um, You know, it's something that has gotten a lot more attention with Mm -hmm. the Jobs Act that President Obama has passed. Um, But right now, they haven't set up how you can actually exchange equity for the money. But, you know, if you're opening up the local pizza shop, offer somebody, you know, X amount of pizzas when you open or or an ability to have a pizza party in your establishment or something like that. People love receiving those types of gifts, and they also love knowing that they are um, affecting their community, providing jobs within their community. Now, another um, option that you may want to consider for brick-and-mortar businesses Mm -hmm. that are local I just heard about this on your business on MSNBC. It's a company called Bolster, and that's spelled B-O-L-S-T-R. Okay. And they have something like a crowdfunding platform, but it's specifically meant for brick-and-mortar retail businesses. And um, they have it set up where if you invest, in a specific business, you're able to share in the revenues of that business. Wow. So you may want to check that out as well. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So how are entrepreneurs and readers responding to your book, Sheree? I've gotten actually rave reviews from entrepreneurs. I actually had one entrepreneur say that he uh, put this book on his short list along with The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Wow, and that's pretty I've powerful. Got, <laughs> very powerful. Um I, I wrote this book as something that could be read by the poolside or the fireside. 
it's a very easy read. It'll only take you a couple of hours to get through. Um, but even more than entrepreneurs, I wanted to put this book in the hands of angel investors and banks and say, what do you think? And I'm getting great, great responses. Every angel investor, every banker that I've, I've presented this to has said, you're right on target. This is, you know, no BS. We're, give, we're right, giving them right. the information that they need. And um, I've actually had a couple of angel investors order multiple books from me and start giving them out to people that come and ask them for funding. So, um, wow. yeah, so if you are actually looking for a book that has been blessed by people that have the money, then um, then this is it. That's fantastic. And we're going to be recommending the book on the show as well. I'm going to be recommending it to all the uh, collegiate entrepreneurs that I work with. And um, I, I think it's a very important book. How can we learn more about, how do we get a copy um, of your book, Cherie? Where do we get it? Okay, well, you come to my website, which is called businessplansthatgetfinanced.com. Okay. That's businessplansthatgetfinanced.com. Or if you want to reach out to me personally, um, let's say that you just have a couple of quick questions about how this information can um, impact your business specifically, I'll give you my phone number. It's 703-489-4589. That's fantastic. I want to thank you again, Cherie, for coming on the show. It's nice to finally have you on the show. And uh, I'd really like to invite you back next year, you know, as as, as you continue to sell the book. And uh, I have a feeling you'll be writing some more books in the future as well. I hope so. Thank you so much, Marty. Uh, It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Cherie. And we'll be right back with more franchises. Coming up on segment two, you're going to hear what every franchisepreneur needs to know before buying a franchise. We're going to play a clip from our popular Great Quotes in Franchising podcast right here on Franchise Interviews. Franchisers, are you looking to reach aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise? Are you looking to reach a highly educated audience on franchising? Franchise Interviews, an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com. Or you can hear and read interviews as well as get tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. Our weekly franchise radio show where each week you get to hear a new interview with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts and attorneys, and our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. For more information, go to FranchiseInterviews.com or call us at 610-905-2919. That's 610-905-2919. Today's great quote in franchising is being brought to you by Franchise Teacher. Would you like to know how to franchise your concept or grow your franchise business? Meet the experts at Franchise Teacher. The goal of Franchise Teacher is to teach, coach, consult, and advise. The team of experts at Franchise Teacher will evaluate your business model and present you with a winning business strategy. Franchise Teacher will help you decide whether or not your concept works and if it's franchisable. Franchise Teacher is proud to have over 30 years of experience in franchising as both franchisees and franchisors. 
Franchise Teacher are developers of over a dozen franchise systems which include brick and mortar as well as home-based concepts of nearly 3,000 combined franchise locations. Whether you need to add more units or get more customers, Franchise Teacher can help. We will teach. Franchise Teacher will help you learn our proven system. Coach. Franchise Teacher will help you provide a game plan to succeed. Consult. Franchise Teacher will make sure you stay on track. And advise. Franchise Teacher will help you learn from our over 30 years of experience in franchising as both franchisees and franchisors. Take advantage of our free no-obligation phone consultation. Simply go to FranchiseTeacher.com or call us at 561-385-3032. That's FranchiseTeacher.com or call us at 561-385-3032. Hi everyone, this is Marty McDermott, the President of Franchise Interviews, and welcome to another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising, where each podcast you get to hear a great quote in franchising. You know, we've been hosting franchise interviews many years now, and during that time, we've had some incredible quotes and lessons on our show. And if you go to our About Us page on FranchiseInterviews.com, you'll take notice on why we started the podcast and radio show, Franchise Interviews, and it suggests that every business has a story. And that's really been our experience in doing all of these podcasts and radio shows. It's every show we do, you'll notice that every franchisor, every franchisee has an amazing story related to franchising. Today's Great Quote in Franchising podcast comes from Tony Luffy. And Tony Luffy is the Chief Executive Officer of the Marlow Investment Group. And the Marlow Investment Group are franchise owners of some very popular franchise systems such as Little Caesars, Sizzler, Jack in the Box, Arby's, Church's Chicken, and most recently Sears Appliance and Hardware Stores. And Tony talks about the difference between opportunity and regret. There's another great quote uh, relating to opportunity. And again, we talk a lot about opportunity on a weekly radio show. It's said that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. But let's hear what Tony says about the difference between opportunity and regret. That we've been able to do in a, on a large scale. It's it's amazing. If you go back to the beginning, Tony, I mean, were your goals, <clears throat> I mean, today, I mean, you're, you're as large as like 200 plus units, but I mean, back then, I mean, when you go back to the beginning, I mean, w- was that your goal in the beginning or was this kind of like a, just like a natural progression over time? It's both. Um, both. Really, when, when I, in the early 90s, when I finally became a partner, a 10% partner of a small company, I wanted to get to 50 units before I turned 50. So I don't know if that goal was really feasible in my head, but that was the dream. Um, But the goal, the the most important part of it was I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I wanted to be independent, and I wanted to allow my ability to manage people and work with people to, to develop into something that was bigger. I didn't know the size uh, nor did I plan for it to be a you know a number of revenue, whether it's ten million or five million, whatever it was. Right, it was right. really finding a way to make a living and support my family at the same time, satisfying my personal need, which is to be an entrepreneur. Um, and and really, once that took place, it was more about the opportunities that came our way. And I always mm-hmm. say, 
The difference between opportunity and regret is being ready. So if you're ready, you see the opportunity as an opportunity. Otherwise, you spend a lifetime regretting the fact that you missed the opportunity. So, so to me, it's about being ready. And I've always worked so hard to make sure that we are ready for whenever that opportunity came our way. That's fantastic. We have this um, <clears throat> great quotes in franchising uh, podcast. We're gonna we're gonna put that quote in there, Tony, if you don't mind. I, I think that's that is very powerful. Maybe we could talk a little bit about um, your company. I mean, the Marlowe Investment Group. I mean, the- if you'd like to hear that whole interview with Tony Luffy, all you have to do is go to franchiseinterviews.com, and you can go to our franchises listed alphabetically page, and simply go to the Marlowe Investment Group, and you can hear that whole interview. Uh, we have that interview also in our About Us page, and you can go to franchise interviews by category as well, and go under the food category, because that's where most of Tony's franchises are um, located within his portfolio. And lastly, we'd just like to thank everyone for making this podcast such a tremendous success. It's amazing how many people have listened to the podcast over the years so um, it's really been wonderful and we'll see you again soon with another edition of great quotes in franchising from franchise interviews take care everyone franchise interviews from eastern pennsylvania to sydney australia you're listening to franchise interviews franchise interviews